Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I am Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe, and my usual co-host, uh, Senior Editor Devendra Hardware, is out this week. By the way, he recently celebrated his birthday, so if you're feeling inclined, send him a, a birthday message. Uh, but joining me today as stand-in co-host is Senior Writer Sam Rutherford. Hey, Sam. Hey, how's it going? Today, we'll be talking all about Samsung's Unpacked 2022 event that took place on Wednesday, as well as Nintendo Direct, which also happened Wednesday evening. It was a very busy day, but the week itself has plenty of news that we'll go over as well. If you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure to subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. And we also do a live recording of this show on the Engadget YouTube channel Thursdays at about 10 a.m. Eastern, typically. So so if you want to come and have some live interaction with us and our community, uh, head on over to YouTube there. So this week, Samsung had the first unpacked event of the year, and it unveiled the Galaxy S22 series, as well as new S8 tablets. Uh, Sam and I covered it for Engadget. You can check out our hands-on uh, and the other articles up there. But joining us today, a special guest to just go over this experience with us is Chris Velasco, staff writer at the Washington Post. Hello, Chris. Hi, it's me. I'm back. Also, you're calling me Chris, which is a very strange thing to hear with my ears. I know. I for for anyone that's new to the podcast, we've explained in older episodes where when Chris used to work with us that uh, I've gotten into the habit of calling Chris V, which is just an easier way to refer to him. Uh, so you might, I might slip this episode and refer to him sometimes as V. So just in case it confuses you, there we go. But yes. Hey, Chris, what did you think of Samsung's event? <sighs> I feel like this is very much <laughs> the same conversation we have every time Samsung has a thing in which the, the products themselves are generally fairly interesting, maybe slightly less so this time, but the presentation is just like a little overwrought. It's a little long. Like I get why they did it, but. I, I, I was not particularly, I'm, I'm completely whelmed by everything that I saw this year. Uh, I'm curious uh, to see if you whelmed. guys feel the same. 
Did you like the Bridgerton like skit they had in the middle of everything? So okay, here's here's my question because I sort I caught it, but then was sort of doing other things at the same time. So here is my query to both of you: were, were those like actual Bridgerton characters? I've never seen Bridgerton. Is it just like a send up of period dramas, or was it actually like this is the cast? Look at how much we paid them to do this stuff. I, I'm with you. I uh, was not. I'm not in on the whole Bridgerton thing. From from what I gather, it was like a promo in the style of Bridgerton, not the same actors, not the same, but like the same kind of like set dressings and time period. Um, and so, you know, I thought like I'm with you. It's like a lot of times, like when, you know, Samsung is doing these streams and they do like a BTS music video or, you know, this Bridgerton like skit comes on. I take that time to like, you know, write something or like, you know, I'm like, you know, jotting something down in my notes. Like that's, that's my break time to get some work done while like, you know, they're not right. spitting out information at me. Um, so I thought it yeah. was cute, but I didn't really get it. I was horrified because <laughs> I was, <laughs> because first of all, I, first of all, I was, I don't watch, uh, I don't watch Bridgerton either. So I don't know what was going on. I didn't make the connection that quickly. I had, was on the live stream here on the Engadget YouTube channel. I had just before it gone out to pick up the review units, which had just arrived. And I want to do our live unboxing. Right. And so imagine I'm leaving like when when like the first opening speaker is talking about you know, sustainable and then come back to what sounded like Bridgerton playing on my laptop. And I freaked out. I was like, what is going on? Because you're offering gifts to Her Majesty. I was like, either Samsung is taking this thing to a whole new level or my laptop changed the channel and my live stream is watching some weird crap right now so that's why i was horrified um but yeah no it's typical typical samsung fashion this event was was part in parts cringe but in parts entertaining i guess um and we sat through all of it v did the washington post have a lot of coverage um on your part so so this is i think the first maybe not this is the first like big big unpacked that I've covered since joining mm-hmm. the post. And we take things a little differently, which is weird. Like it was a weird adjustment for me, honestly. So we did one story the other day and it was mainly focused on what I thought were the most interesting things that they announced, which were the tab S eights. Like the, the S 22s are perfectly fine. Like we all had hands on time. You guys have them. Mine hasn't arrived yet. Yes. So like there's, oh. there's a sense already that they, these are fairly sturdy, competent upgrades, but nothing super exciting. And then, I'm, I think we're all glad to see the Note is back, but it is very much the next version of what we had with the Note 20 Ultra. So there's there doesn't feel like a whole lot of progress being made on that front. Just familiar faces kind of returning. Uh, but the tablets, at least uh, with the Tab S8 Ultra, which to me is still just like a ridiculous thing. Uh, I had a lot more fun just sort of like running with that at the post. So let's start with the Tab S8 Plus. I mean, Tab S8 line, right? I mean, I I did our hands on for this, and uh, Sam also recently uh, covered the Android 12 L beta for us. So I think it, it's important to bear in mind because, like I said in my hands on article, the Tab S8 series or the Tab S series was always the best premium Android hardware around, um, Pixel Slate notwithstanding, and even the Pixel Slate is like middling you know what i mean the hardware side um but with the promise of android 12 l coming with some of the tweaks that samsung has made also no mention of decks whatsoever i am intrigued i felt like one thing i noticed immediately when i looked at the the ultra was like i was like oh wait this looks like an ipad pro and it's very very thin it looks like the the bezels surrounding it are also very thin just in terms of the engineering here i was i was pretty taken 
Um, v, did you have like similar, like, did you think it looked like an iPad Pro? Because I know you have iPads. I, I got that for a sec, but I feel like anyone who sort of sees one of these in person is disabused of that notion mm. very quickly because this thing is long, mm. right? Like, this is the mm. long, long man of Android tablets. <laughs> oh, boy. <All> right. <laughs> you just just count yourself lucky that I didn't sing it at 8 in the I'm morning. I'm glad. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm glad. But, but, yeah, like, it's a very visually arresting device, right? Like, as I walked into the like, content capture space, that was the first thing my eyes locked onto because it's, like, the biggest, most interesting target. And then you pick it up and then you realize, oh, it's it's like a little lighter than an iPad Pro, like marginally, but it's considerably thinner. The build quality is fantastic. This is a Samsung screen, which Apple is trying to sort of outdo, but hasn't really gotten there, in my opinion. Like in a lot of ways, this is one of the most impressive devices, period, that Samsung has ever made. It's just to me strange that all of that sort of effort and engineering and, and forethought went into an enormous tablet that will still face so many of the classic Android tablet problems. Those being probably like a lack of a really good OS. Sam, do you feel like Android 12 L based on your experience with the beta could alleviate some of those problems? Uh, I mean, in terms of the the Tab SA Ultra, I don't think it changes much because Samsung already has a lot of the Android 12 L features already built into one UI. So, you know, Samsung, because, you know, Samsung's been pushing the whole multitasking stuff on their devices forever. You know, they have better multitasking support, better split screen support than standard Android. Um, like, you know, they don't, and it's like, uh, someone asked me, someone else asked me, it was like, oh, why didn't they talk about DeX? And it's like, I feel like Samsung is just like, DeX has been around for like five or six years at this point. And they're like, they're, they're just like tired of talking about it. But DeX is still like a really unique feature, especially in the Android tablet world. And like, you yeah. know, it, so it's, a lot of the Android telephone features don't really apply to Samsung in a weird way yeah. um, because they already exist. And it's the same thing as like, you know, the Google added scrolling screenshots to Android 12 and Samsung has had them for like a, at least a year or more. Um, and, and But at, at the same time, it's like just like to, to Chris's point, it's just like you have the the a 14 inch giant massive Jeez. tablet. And it's like oh most people is like when they think about a small laptop, they think about a 13 inch laptop. Uh, and it's like now we have this giant tablet and then you got to get a giant uh, detachable keyboard, which isn't going to work on anything else because there's no 14 inch tablets. And it's just like, oh, OK. And, you know, you can kind of see like you, you see how it works in like there, there, there is like and that, that's the thing with like a lot of the Samsung tablets. Like there's so much potential and it's like always like in terms of being a full like laptop replacement device. It's always like one like half step short of like doing what you really, really want it to do. But it seems like they're getting closer. Um, and then, you know, I think the other thing is that the existence of Android 12L and when it eventually comes out, I think that'll be a huge step for developers to better support um, multitasking and app. Exactly. Like, you know, tablet uh, apps um, on devices like the Tab SA Ultra. And I think that'll be the real big win for, you know, people who want to get a giant tablet like the like the Tab SA. Totally. As a reminder, the the Tab S8 Ultra starts at like eleven hundred dollars, and yeah. the Plus is somewhere around nine hundred, and and the and the regular S8 is at seven hundred. So, uh, I, I forget if the price includes an S Pen. Um, it does. But yeah. the S8, it does. That's that's good. It doesn't include the covers though, the keyboard case and no. And, Sam, and Samsung's stuff, so teasing the the keyboard cover as a pre order bonus. 
Yes, yeah. So if you want to use this as an ultra portable, you know, pre-order or or buy the keyboard case, but wait for Android to become better or or something like that. Um, v, did you like the S Pen uh, on the S8 Ultra, or did you not, you know, have that much time with it? I really did not have that much time with it, but I've I've been a big fan of the S Pen or big fan of the S Pen rather for a really really long time. So I just uh, just the fact that we're getting it in the box, and I say we like I'm going to buy one. Someone's going to buy one, and someone's going to get an S Pen yes. in the box. And for uh, just just comparatively, right? Like that's a hundred to hundred and thirty dollar premium for uh, for a high grade a- Apple tablet. So just the Apple Samsung is I think doing a better job than ever of providing value for what you're actually paying in this case. But again, and Sam, to your point, like Android just isn't there yet. And I'm glad that Android 12 L will give developers a reason to maybe optimize their stuff for these bigger screen experiences, because that's just not been a priority. Like we've all seen it. And it's really sad because the hardware in a lot of cases is where it needs to be. It's just the platform that kind of lets it down. Right. And you see a lot of device makers, like they go Chrome OS on big tablets instead of Android for that exact reason. Yeah, uh, we were speaking, Samsung in a conversation mentioned that something like 90% of the people who bought like the bigger Tab S7 when it came out two years ago, like middle of in 2020, 2020 yeah, yeah uh, actually yeah. wanted an even bigger screen at that point. Like they were already wanting like a 15 inch tablet. So clearly the groundwork, at least from Samsung's perspective, clearly the groundwork has been laid for that kind of push. But I like you have to you have to wonder like how small a chunk of people was that in the first place and how much influence are they sort of having over what Samsung is doing? Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, the hardware here. Let me just round up what's uh, what else is new about the S8 and S8 Plus Ultra uh, or S8 Ultra. Uh, <laughs> the Ultra model has a dual front, uh, dual twelve megapixel front camera setup, which you can use for things like auto framing in a call. We we did that with the camera app at our hands-on, uh, me and Sam. Um, and then the regular S8 and S8 Plus both come with 12 megapixel front cameras this time, as opposed to, what was it, like eight megapixels before. And you still have dual rear cameras if you want. Um, and then, you know, software has been somewhat upgraded. I think I was most intrigued by Google announcing with Samsung that Duo, the video calling app, will support live sharing. Similar to Apple's SharePlay, but not really that similar, actually. V, did you, uh, like, what do you make of this? And did you get to try it out? I Did you guys get to try it out? Because I didn't. And no, we did not. <laughs> That's what it always feels so like I at those, like, early demo events, right? Like, half the software <laughs> yeah. that should be, that, that will be talked about is just, like, not available for us to use. Um, so, yeah, I haven't tried this either. But, I mean, it is, like, crucially important for Samsung to make these sort of bigger ecosystem plays. And they talk about it a lot, right? Like, there's no, there's no, like, Samsung device, non-TV device rather, announcement that springs to mind immediately that didn't have someone from Google pop up saying, hey, check out these new like collaboration features and here's new camera stuff that we've put into Duo. And for for Samsung that has to fight against Apple, not just on the hardware front, but in just the way it integrates with a broader you know, array of devices. Like this is, this is the be all and end all. Like this is what Samsung has to nail. And, and they're getting there slowly. I, I don't know that I've seen anything that's like really pushed the boundaries, right? Like with the tablets, I, what was Samsung talking about? There's like the notes app where you can sync between you know, your phone and your laptop and, and your tablet and the wireless display stuff. None of which is like terribly new. And I'm curious, you guys have covered Android tablets, probably I fair to say longer than I have. What what sort of like cross device integration kind of makes 
like would get you to buy a tablet like this. An Android tablet like yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Right? Like, wh- I, like what a, would we have you, to do with the ecosystem I, to make it, like, worth buying into? A, it's hard to get convince me to buy an Android tablet to begin with. <laughs> not until, Same. you know, like we said, the support is there, right? Like, uh, it could be the best second screen in the world and it's still not worth buying. I have a second screen. Like, I could just link up another monitor. Um, I'm a big Android user, but not on as Like, I, do you know how many dead Android tablets are sitting in my like <laughs> closet right now because I thought on a whim I was going to use one and I bought one and then just sitting there now or my dad gave me his old one because he couldn't be bothered to use it anymore and then now I can't be bothered to use it. You know what I mean? It's it's That's the reason I'm like, I'm never buying an Android tablet again, but I keep up with the news because I have to, you know, cover them for my work. That's sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, for, for me, it's like, it all comes down to like use case and it's like, I, I love, you know, imagine like, you know, you can bring a, a giant tablet on a, on a plane flight and you have like the best in-screen entertainment of all time. But like, you know, that's only, you know, how you, people aren't on airplanes all the time. So it's like, to me, like you have to figure out like what, what you ca- use case, are you really going to get that, um, like take advantage of that Android form factor and, you know, Samsung's hardware. And it's like, you know, I'm thinking he's like, oh, if you love game streaming, like say you have like Stadia or you have like GeForce Now, you know, that seems like a really interesting device. You know, you prop the the Tab SA up on a table and you have like a incredible screen for playing games on on the go. And that seems really interesting. But like, you know, if you're doing something that's more like design nature, like architecture in nature, like, you know, you're trying to sketch out plans and like, you know, that makes sense to me in terms of like, oh, I have the S Pen included. I have a giant screen and oh, hey, the the stylus or uh, input is way more sensitive. Uh, palm rejection is better. And the latency is pretty much zero now. And it's like, OK, that makes a lot of sense. Just going to throw a question out there because you, you both have devices with this chip, which is also used by the Tab S8 series. What has it been like using a device with the Snapdragon, Snapdragon 8 Gen 1? Like I have not put in much time and I'm curious if there are any sort of like standout differences so far. I mentioned this a little earlier, uh, just before you joined us, uh, V, that I felt like the battery seemed to be draining a little faster than usual. I haven't felt it run too hot. Uh, and performance seems comparable to what I've seen before, but I haven't done my more taxing uh, performance tests yet, so I can't really for sure. Yeah, I mean, I honestly haven't noticed much of a difference in day-to-day. Like, you know, most modern phones are so powerful that, like, you know, you get a flagship device and you don't notice, like, oh, man, this, like, it's struggling to open Instagram. That never happens. Come on now. And so it's like – and so you, like, you really have to dive in, and it's like – in some points it's like, it feels a little like, you know, scientific. And it's like, you know, we're stressing these phones out just to stress them out and not in a way that people would normally use them. Um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Cause you know, every once in a while you are going to run into a game. that's like, Oh, you're really chugging along with this ga- game or, you know, you're trying to like, you know, really hardcore multitask. And, you know, it's nice to have the extra performance. I think, you know, like what, what Sherlyn was saying, it's like, you know, I'm very curious to see like, um, how battery or energy efficiency has improved from last generation. And I think a lot of the things that we like, you know, the new process report kind of go hidden under the hood. We're, we're talking about seems like, oh, they're doing multi-frame, more multi-frame processing for photos. And, you know, you can do, you know, improved HDR and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, you know, that that takes a little more time to get into. So, 
you know, on like, you know, first, first impressions, it's like, you know, it's, it's fast, but you'd expect it to be that way. Yeah. And we, yeah. If we truly hit that point a while ago too, right? That point where yeah. the top end of whatever year, whatever year smartphone you get just is going to like the benchmark is so we've well shot past like adequate, right? Like there's really no functional difference in most ways for most people if you get like the highest most fully specced out device and i think that 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 i want to make sure we talk about the s22 ultra and that's a great point to sort of move over there right because this is now the note replacement at least in my mind and the note series used to be samsung's whole like high-end play right it was the power user's phone it was the big screen big specs the s pen and basically now with the tab s8 ultra and an s22 ultra like they're samsung's basically saying the ultra branding is what you're gonna uh it's what it's gonna use to cater to to users who demand the sort of high specs uh like that do you Okay, so so Sam and I, I don't know if I've told you this, V, but Sam and I at our hands-on event, we just kept calling the S22 Ultra the Note by accident. Like, <laughs> no, like, no, yeah, same. every same. single time. Yeah, the whole time. Even Samsung reps, I think they themselves might have been calling it. I, I think I remember someone doing that. Um, but V, did you like have that sort of deja vu moment when you picked up the S22 Ultra? I This is going to sound like silly and theatrical but i very much so i went to the i went to the hands-on thing by myself and i go in and i i know i miss you guys and just sort of poke around and look at the stuff and pick up whatever and then i get to the galaxy s22 ultra and i'm just like i pick it up and i'm looking at it and and as though i'm on a sitcom i turn and just like address an invisible camera and just go this is a no this is a no this is just (laughs) a no 100 (laughs) do you just do you just think a camera's following you everywhere you go? Is that what it is? I think like, I think that's why we became friends. It's because we both oh thought God. that was true. But like, <laughs> no, like Chris, you're totally right. Show. Because like, I picked it up and I'm like, it, it, there's like this weird sense of nostalgia. It's like, oh, this feels like a note. Like, the, and, and then the design is obviously, you know, very Samsung and looks like other Samsung devices, but it's different enough from the S22 and S22 Plus. They're like, oh, this is, you know, you, it's a different thing. And so you like you definitely noticed that. The the headline for your hands-on on Engadget, Sam, was the Galaxy Note reincarnated. And I I I loved it. I was like, yeah, I mean there is that the implication that it's like it was dead before and it's brought back to life, which I guess it was dead last year because it never came out last year, but it's it's definitely very noty. Um and I think do you think people who buy S-series phones will get that connection and like that connection, sort of like like the similarities? Or are they like, at this point, not sensitive to the differences between the highest end model and the mid model? Uh, I mean, I definitely think there's a difference between the Galaxy S Ultra buyer and then like the regular Galaxy buyer. I, I definitely think, and I don't think people are really going to confuse that. Uh, even just like, you know, you look at the price, it's like the Ultra is clearly way more expensive than everything else. Um, and so, you know, for a long time, like, you know, the Note was Samsung's top tier, super premium. That was their like highest end device. It gives you everything. And so it's nice to at least have that come out at the same time as the other phones, because now you have all your choices. You don't have, you know, back in the day, you like the new Galaxy S would come out and then people who like the Note would have to wait another six months to be like to get their device. And it's like, okay, put out all the like traditional like, you know, glass brick phones 
And, you know, they all come out at the same time and you can choose which one. And it also, you know, you look at last year, they added style support and then they didn't put anywhere to put the, the store, the stylus. And it's like, okay, thank you. Like, you know, finish, finish the story, like make this thing, the device that people wanted, especially in the absence of not having a note last year, you know, the ultra is the note and the S kind of, you know, lines jumbled all up into one. Um, and I, I like it. And also, you know, when you think about it, I mentioned this on Twitter yesterday. It's like, you know, by putting all the Galaxy S devices out and then not having a note, you have everything comes out at the beginning of the year. And then Samsung gets to focus on foldables for the fall. And it's like, you know, they've had a lot of a lot of success with the Z Flip and the Z Fold. And so it's like, you know, people's like, oh, smartphone innovation is dead. It's like, wait, wait, not, not so fast. Like there's this whole other like collection of foldable smartphones that are, you know, it's still niche and they're still expensive, but it's a very much a growing category. And there's a, that's where, you know, I feel like a lot of the innovation um, we, we see between, you know, design innovation. And then you have spec innovations where it's like nicer cameras, faster, faster um, performance, that sort of thing. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't know if you have thoughts to Evie. I'm going to interject really quickly to say, I, I don't know if you've seen V that, uh, you know, we wrote an article called, you know, Samsung's not done with a note yet, but anyway, um, <laughs> a little self-promotion here, but yeah, no, I, in that article, I, I managed to uh, speak with Drew Blackard, uh, Sam and I managed to sit down and talk with Drew Blackard, uh, who is the VP of product management at Samsung to ask what this means for the future of note. And uh, the short answer is that the note name is sort of still going to hang around, but there's not going to be a no new note device. And to me in the article, I do say also that like some of this consolidation makes sense and it does. Yeah. Like with the, with the launch cadence that Samsung has been going after the last few years, having that second event later in the year dedicated to foldables makes a lot of sense as opposed to like trying to cram note and foldables into one event. It also makes my life easier. But uh, V, did you did you get a chance to read that article at all? I no? did, as a matter of fact, and it did clear <laughs> things up. So everyone, please read that story on Engadget.com. Sam, really quick, I want to circle back to something you said. You mentioned earlier that you could see like a clear differentiation between the classic, well, classic for the couple years it's been around, the, the S- S number number ultra user and the note ultra user. How do you, how do you tease those out? Like what, what's the big difference do you think? Um, I, I mean, obviously like there's the whole stylus input link. That's, you know, a very, you know, if you, if you are a person who, you know, you love stylus and writing, writing handwritten notes on a phone, there's that. But also it's like, you see what they're talking about. The note has two telephoto cameras. It has like a dedicated laser autofocus sensor. And so it's like, this is like, it's, it's the big phone. It's like, you know, it's the Mercedes G wagon of phones. Whereas like, you know, the regular S is like, you know, if that's your sedan, it's, you know, it's, it's easier to drive and park or, you know, park in your pocket or purse or whatever, but you know, it's still very nice. It's just not as big and maybe a little, little bit, uh, you know, easier to handle. So like a Camry versus like a, like a BMW. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, because I, I gotta like do this. Sh and, Sherlyn's and, like, really exposing. We her, all know cars. Her, her lack of knowledge about know. cars. I know cars. Vroom vroom. Yes, vroom vroom. <laughs> that was basically all I knew when I reviewed cars for Engadget for like the two months that I did it. Cargo, cargo over we, there. Car, car. Right oh, pedal God. fast, left pedal slow. Yes, brake, brake good, infotainment nice. 
Um, we're. I think we should. Uh, we, we we've sort of talked about all of Samsung's announcements this weekend. We're gonna have another episode next week to go into more in depth thoughts on the devices after we spent some time with them. Uh, Sam and I will probably be back to talk about the S twenty two Ultra and Plus. Um, but for now, you can definitely check out our articles on Engadget.com as well as Chris Velasco's article on the Washington Post. Uh, for a bit of a different take, I guess. But I I did want to. <laughs> I did want to flag that another event also happened on the same day as Unpacked. It was Nintendo's Direct. This is their show about upcoming games for the Switch. As a Switch owner myself, I was only kind of checked out. No, I didn't pay attention because it happened a lot later in the day and I was running around doing Samsung stuff. But I know that you two are a vague Nintendo fan. I think think Sam a bit more than VV just as a big Pokemon nut. Uh, but did you both <laughs> did you both watch Nintendo Direct, Sam? Yeah, I watched it. Uh, spoiler alert! Sorry, Sherlyn. There's no new Overcooked uh, news. Damn I'm, it. I'm very no. very uh, sad to report this to you. No. V, did you see anything you liked? I saw many things. I didn't. I didn't see them in real time. I was so <laughs> I was like on a call with a with like a regular person trying to help them figure out what laptop to buy because that's just a thing I'm trying to do. But anyway. <laughs> um, so, no, I caught up after the fact. And it was only once I saw Sam mentioning what to me was an incredible standout for, for gamers of a certain age. Uh, cr- yes. The Chrono Cross remaster plus Radical yes. Dreamers, the never-before-officially-translated visual novel that was beamed to certain Super Nintendos, or rather Super Famicoms in Japan, via satellite in the late 90s. That is truly a spectacular yet. And... Uh, Sam, you really just like made my afternoon yesterday when you when you put those words in the chat. I'm like, oh, yeah, because like you know we we were talking about like you know back in like mid '90s JRPG, like the height of JRPGs when SquareSoft before they even Square Enix was like really hitting on all cylinders. Like you know you have Chrono Trigger, legendary game, and even though like there's a lot of people who don't like Chrono Cross in the same way they like Chrono Trigger, I I have massive respect for that game, massive nostalgia, and it's like. It's really cool to see that come back, um, and then, and it, it was like it was kind of like a like a slate of like JRPGs because you know you had that one, and then you had the Front Mission, which is more of a tactics game, but and then um, also the big headlining thing was Xenoblade Chronicles Three, which is like you know I think a lot of people had been expecting it, but it's nice to see that come back too. I am seeing uh, our podcast producer, Ben, mention that people were frustrated to not hear anything about Breath of the Wild 2. Is that something you guys were yeah. talking about? Um, I mean, so be- like last year, Nintendo was like, hey, we're working on it. We are not going to tell you when it's going to come out, coming out. Yes, it's happening. And then ever since then, they've been kind of radio silence on Breath of the Wild. I imagine that we will closer to E3 is when we'll probably hear about Breath, uh, Breath of the Wild 2. Um, I understand why they didn't do it. They wanted to focus on stuff that's coming out this spring uh, for a lot of like, you know, the new Kirby game is going to come out in April, I believe. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I, I, I get Kirby, it. It's Kirby, a little disappointing. Oh. And, Kirby, sorry. I think our, our producer was excited about Kirby and, and wrote the word Kirby <laughs> three times. All right. And I was talking about this. The, the new Kirby game looks really good because for a lot of times, like Kirby was like, the kitty Nintendo game. And it was like almost too easy, but this like, you know, there, a lot of the mechanics in the new Kirby game where you can just like, Oh, Kirby's going to eat a car and now Kirby can drive around. Okay. That's awesome. Oh. Like give me more of hey, that. Hey, maybe I should eat a car. Then I can drive. This, no. no. this is taking the turn. 
Also, have you guys seen the reaction to Kirby eating a car on the internet? Just like all, all over no, Twitter? No, I, I, I missed that part. It's please, like, please, please tell. I don't know if I want to. Some of it is, some of it's extremely tongue in cheek. Some of it is very horny. I, and the, as, the, as the internet horny, is wont like to do, yeah, everything, or? rule 34. Okay. Yes, rule 34, but also Sherlin. Horny, horny in every sense of the word. Ba-ba, beep, beep. I'm a good sound effects artist. Um, there was there was also another thing I think that caught some people's attention, but I'm not sure if you were done talking about Kirby yet, Sam. No, go ahead. Mario Soccer. Did you guys see that? Yes. Um, I, that I, I'm, a, I'm a big Mario sports fan, um, just like in general. And like usually Mario Golf um, you gets, gets a lot of the attention, but Mario Strikers was like one of the most fun Mario sports games. Like it's just, it just bonkers. And like, you know, especially... You know, Nintendo always seems to do this really well where it's like they make games that are really accessible. And it's like, you know, when you have people who come over and visit and you just want to like game, it's like you can jump into those. You don't have to have like 10 years of I've been playing FIFA and I know how like through passes work and everything like that. It's like, no, you just go play the game and you you knock people around and you do giant like big goal celebrations. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm pumped. I love it. I, uh, I first of all, also can't drive in Mario Kart, for those of you <laughs> wondering. I'm a poor driver in both real life and in Mario. Uh, but I am very good at Daytona cars. Um, but anyway, what are, the, what are the games stood out to you, V, specifically? Uh, well, I'm a man that's firmly living in the past. So every sort of like classic Nintendo slash Square game that got a call out was big for me live alive is somehow going to be $50 I guess it's because it's a 2d slash HD remaster thing whenever it comes out I think July but live alive if for the people who don't know it's like this classic lost square RPG that was it was as Sam pointed out earlier released in like that beautiful like post 96 period where like Final Fantasy VII had already taken off and had like taken the Square name and made it like a real brand you had to look out for for people who had PlayStations. But then they continued to do like really beautiful, poignant, smart little RPGs for the Super Nintendo or Super Famicom that just no one ever paid attention to in the West. So you had Live Alive. And, and Live Alive never came out in the U.S. So it's like even more of like oh, this yeah. like, you know, like – exotic fruit that like you know oh hey we actually get to play this now yeah and like that was a sense that kept coming up for me during this entire thing right because radical dreamers again is like this beautiful bit of like lost media that sort of sort of took the chrono trigger story and moved it forward and then you play chrono cross years later and now you get to experience this little weird nugget of an experience and then just sort of see where the ideas came from and how things were maybe originally going to fit together so it's just beautiful context um yeah i'm super stoked I, I really hope this leads to like a renaissance for those for the that very generation of overlooked square rpgs like treasures of the rudra which had this really insane like magic system where if you could figure out like you would input your own words to use as magic spells and if you could like crack the system you could figure out how to crack and, and produce like really powerful spells that didn't that never got a release here Bahamut Lagoon was sort of a front missiony style tactical turn-based situation but with dragons like that would be a super fun thing to just bust out on a switch as well hopefully if these titles and these remasters do well another spotlight will shine on this generation of lost games. So I'm yeah, wait, super uh, stoked let me, let me Let me hit you with a deep cut. Let's do did it. You, did you ever play Suicoden? Of course. Well, is okay. that a deep cut? Oh, wait. Is that the setup? Okay, go on. Sorry. Oh, but so, so like, you know, I, I actually, like, to your point, like, I think, like, there's a chance that, like, some of these, 
you know, like it's almost like this weird JRPG renaissance that we're about to get into because the original developers of Suikoden are making a new game that's coming out, I think, later this year. And it's like, like, yeah, everything, everything, all, all signs are up for all the kids who like grew up in the 90s playing Final Fantasies and stuff. Like, yeah, it's great. Oh, oh, oh. And speaking of kids who grew up in the 90s, Earthbound and Earthbound Zero yeah, yep. coming to Switch Online. It's incredible. Did you see – so <laughs> I'm very, very fond of Shigesato Itoi, the sort of creator of the Mother series, and he posted a video on Twitter just sort of, I think, timed to coincide with a Nintendo Direct. And it's just like this older Japanese man in a very sparse studio set with maybe a couple props next to him. And it's just him at, uh, occasionally just like jumping up and down because he's very excited that a new generation of people get to play his games because for him – People who play his games are sort of automatically friends. Like you've you've gone on an experience together in a way. And, you know, that has sort of tapered off because you couldn't find anywhere to like legally play Earthbound. And Earthbound Zero or Earthbound Beginnings was never, I don't think, officially translated for the West either. So that's that is that is a new sort of addition to the canon for a lot of people. Um, so now he's like super excited and jumping up and down because he gets to have these like sort of friendship forging little experiences with like an entirely new generation of people, including some in his words that are young enough to be his great grandchildren. So like from for many, many reasons, the Earthbound stuff coming to switch is very, very meaningful to me. Absolutely. I want I want to do a quick um, just to point out certain news that may be less exciting. Uh, I think our producer Ben mentioned that the Assassin's Creed port looks like it's bad and also uh, was wondering why the Kingdom Hearts series is available but only in streaming. Is this something you two paid attention to? Uh, I've never been in on the Assassin's Creed franchise. <laughs> Same, actually. I tried. I tried so hard. I bought like the like the deluxe hard case version of the first one because I worked at Best Buy at the time and thought, you know what? I'm going to use my paycheck really well this time. Um, and I played like two hours and just bounced right off. I can never get into it. <laughs> Uh, oh boy i will say i mean i think i think those two were just some smaller examples of how like the switch might be limited by some hardware and and lack of power constraints if you're gonna have a port that looks bad or a, a game that can only be played at streaming it, it seems like not all of these titles that were announced or, or changes or upcoming updates will be very well received but we don't know most of these games are what coming out later in this year Nice. I am very curious uh, to like. We... Sorry, I, just to jump in, I'm really curious to get a to get a better sense of like what, like how these cloud games are doing for Nintendo. Because in moving from the super awesome uh, East Coast, which is the best place in the United States to live, probably <laughs> <laughs> to to California, uh, I'm now subject to data caps that I was certainly not subject to before. So, com- so fun fact: Comcast which is, you know, one of the biggest and perhaps most annoying internet service providers in America. I believe the number is 12. 12 states in the Northeast are sort of exempted from their data caps. So if you have Comcast, go nuts. Like, you don't have to worry about it. There's no overages. Like, you're good. But everywhere else, once you had 1.2 terabytes, it is something like 30 extra bucks uh, for 50 gigs or something like that. It's ridiculous. And me being me, I'm bumping up against that limit all the time because I'm the worst. So very first world problem. But there are quite a few people who, whether or not they're paying for like the best internet plan they can get, are still subject to these data limitations and these weirdo network management practices. So I really, really wonder if 
if that is putting a hamper on sort of the, the growth of these streaming and cloud games for Nintendo and, and, and Stadia, which is going through its own stuff and Microsoft. Everybody's got a hand in this. I mean, don't 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 bring don't get me started on how 5G is supposed to help all of this, but we won't uh, because that is another topic for another episode. Uh, we're Glad you were able to join us, Chris. Thanks for having Mr. me. Mr. Velasco, thanks for uh, uh, gracing us with your knowledge, wisdom, and presence and your time. How can people find you on the internet? Hey, you can find me at Chris Velasco on Twitter, or you can email me, I guess, uh, at a less fun email address, chris.velasco at washpost.com. If you have tech problems, let me know. Let's let's do a thing about it. Yeah, you give you the personal personal touch. I'll give you a call on Zoom. Uh, we'll, we'll tell you what laptops again. <laughs> <laughs> it was great having you. Thanks for joining us. And we hope to get you back soon to talk about more fun stuff, man. Thanks, guys. So as if two noteworthy events on one day isn't enough, this week was also chock full of other news. Peloton made the news this week. Uh, well, it laid off a whole bunch of people, which is like, okay, amazing in itself. It's cutting about 2,800 jobs. And it's also replacing its CEO. But then we found out something even more cringeworthy. Sam, did you hear about this? Uh, well, there's a, there's a lot of layers to this story. But I think you're probably talking about them laying off 2,800 people. And then, hey, as a consolation prize, here's a free year membership to Peloton. It's like, uh, that's oh. I just like, adds insult to injury. You're, you're already laying these people off. They're, they're not going to have jobs. And you're like... Oh, by the way, keep using our service. It's it's free. Uh, I'm pretty sure you guys know know how it works. It sounds like some real R anti work stuff, like some real stuff that should go up on there. It's like we don't understand what people actually want when we lay people off, which is good severance packages at least, or you know, try not to lay them off. Um, but yeah, no, this is big news I think for Peloton because it's a major change um, from the top down. And personally, I. I you know, I know that like with the with the pandemic sort of starting to subside, I think demand for at home fitness gear might be might be like subsiding as well. Plus the fact that like you know people who want were going to go out and buy a Peloton probably already have bought a Peloton. There's like a limit to however many they can sell. Also, I feel like Big's death in and just like that did not. Oh, did I spoil this for people? Oh boy! Spoiler alert. Something happened on a TV show that was related to Peloton and Peloton made a big deal about it by responding with various videos. Sam, I did you see this? I, uh, did I spoil this for you in short? Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the spoilers. Uh, I, I got to admit, I am not a big Sex in the City fan or and just like that. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think, you know, my take on it, it's like, I don't know about you, but like all throughout the pandemic, I was seeing Peloton uh, delivery vans all around my neighborhood and people, you know, they were just, people were buying Pelotons like crazy. Cause you know, you couldn't go outside, you couldn't go to the gym depending on where you live. And so people are like, okay, I'll buy something so I can work out at home. And to me to like have this, you know, layoff come so soon, it's like, it kind of reeks of mismanagement, which is, you know, partly the reason why the CEO is stepping down because they had gangbuster sales during the pandemic. And then I think they just overexpanded and they didn't really just like, you know, take some time to look at the numbers and be like, oh, hey, maybe we're bringing on too many people or, you know, obviously this pandemic is going to be, you know, a nice uh, uh, windfall in the short term, but they didn't think mm -hmm. beyond the next six months or a year. And now, mm -hmm. you know, they're having to cut jobs. And it's just, 
it's really depressing because, you know, at the end of the day, it's the the employees who are going to, you know, suffer the most. Oh, uh, of course, for sure. I mean, I think some of the most recent news we heard was that the price of the treadmill was coming down. I mean, that was one of the first signs, right, that Peloton wasn't doing as well as it should. Um, to, to contextualize some of this information for you, uh, that 2,800 uh, number of, of people that is laid off is about 20% of uh, the corporate workforce of Peloton, I believe. Um, I, I, I'm going to make sure I'm not conflating the two numbers and making some sort of false equivalency over here, but that's what it looks like. Um, the CEO and co-founder, John Foley, is stepping down as CEO, but he will remain as executive chairman. And they will have a new CEO which is former Spotify COO Barry McCarthy, another company that's not been in the news at all lately. Um, but according to a Wall Street Journal report, McCarthy is supposedly going to bring his understanding of content-driven subscription models to Peloton. So Peloton's turning into a Netflix or Spotify for fitness, even like more than it already has. I mean, I know that you have some experience with Peloton classes, Sam. Were they fun for you? Um, I'm generally not the kind of person who likes classes for exercise. Like, if I'm going to the gym, I want to go in, do my exercises, and get out. I don't want to have to, like, wait around for, like, an instructor. And, I, you know, in you know, to Peloton's credit, like, the, the fact that you can have classes on demand, you know, does make it easier to do that. Um, but at the same time, like... Even though, like, I know some people, like, really love the instructors, like, you know, I hear people talk about Cody Rigsby, I think, all the time. It's just like, you know, I don't, it's it's not the kind of motivation that really works for me. Um, right, And right. so, I, you know, I think the bikes are generally well made. Um, I, I actually have to give credit to Peloton because the displays on the bikes are miles better than the displays on pretty much any other bikes. You know, you go to the gym and you like touch and they're like resist, resistive touchscreens and it's like 10 year old tech and it just feels bad. And at least Peloton, you know, at least kind of understands like a modern the, like gadget buyer where it's like, hey, we're going to make a nice huge screen. The audio is good and, you know, everything else kind of falls into place after that. I've never had that much experience with Peloton hardware. So, I mean, I, I trust you and I take your word for it. But like I the other thing is I never understood why Peloton's subscription model, first of all, had to be the way it was. I didn't buy into the idea that like you had to pay to use your treadmill or something. There were certain like limits to their program that didn't make sense. And I think they did get a lot of criticism for. The other thing is it's just so expensive. It, it seems like a very privileged uh, a product that like a certain type of person is what they're going after, right? Like it's an upwardly mobile. Oh, for sure. I mean, and I, I think, disposable you know, income. like it or not, I think that's part of the appeal because Peloton started out as this like kind of like bougie fitness thing where it's like, hey, this is like, you know, it's kind of tech forward, which, you know, we appreciate. But it's also like, you know, they have these cool studios in New York and London. And, you know, I, I think, you know, it kind of started off as a thing and then they had all they kind of really capitalized on some like spin cycles you know success oh, yeah and you know i i think the formula works I, I i agree with you that the pricing seems a little bit high um but i i mean i, I think it is a prestige thing in a, in a weird like in a in a world where like you know fitness athleisure brands like lululemon and like athleta mm -hmm. are like seen as like fashionable and like stylish I think, you know, mm -hmm. Peloton is doing the same thing for exercise classes. 
Yeah, I mean they've they've made a lot of uh, missteps and stuff like that in the past already. What what with that ad of the guy gifting his wife a Peloton, it's not. I feel like this this history of struggles with their marketing and their messaging is something that will continue to dog Peloton. Probably that's just mine. And then there was take. the whole issue with the treadmill, um, and that one the one child. Yeah, died. the and kids. Then, the child hazard, yeah. And the Peloton kind of dragged their feet about doing a recall, and it's like, you know, it's just, yeah. So they 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 had a, a string of unfortunate events. Yes, and it kind of makes sense that this is where they've, they're ending up. Our producer, Ben, has a question of what's going to happen to the class teachers who became fitness influencers over the pandemic? Will Peloton try to cash in on them? We don't know. I mean, it sounds like they're going to keep making content. They're going to keep making classes, and I'm sure there's... Uh, enough demand for that whether like we go back to a hybrid workforce or not so it, it, it remains to be seen i i'm not peloton ceo but we'll keep uh, an eye out yeah um, I, mean, I think the instructors are gonna speaking, be just yeah. fine um i, I think w- there's a peloton instructor who's gonna be participating in the the nba all-star celebrity game so you know if you have a big following as a trainer on peloton uh i'm pretty sure you'll have an easy time pivoting out if you know something happens to yeah. peloton the company yeah i'm sure equinox is looking i'm sure yeah. <laughs> like some other fitness brand that yeah. <laughs> sam mentioned is probably looking as well hey speaking of companies making moves we talked last week uh about microsoft buying cod studio what was Act- it no Act- destiny Activision. bungie 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 was so to sony sorry last week sony's bought Bungie. And then the week before, we also talked about Microsoft buying Activision, right? Which was what the house of uh, Call of Duty. This week, we heard an update. I think a lot of people were concerned after Microsoft bought Blizzard or Activision Blizzard that um, the that Call of Duty would just become Microsoft exclusive or something. But there's been an update, Sam. You're more into gaming than I am. Sam. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, obviously it was a huge deal uh, for the gaming world, uh, Microsoft buying Activision and Blizzard which, you know, has their own, like, you know, legendary string of games. Um, and I think a lot of people were worried, okay, everyone's like, okay, Microsoft buying this, and suddenly everything under the Activision Blizzard umbrella is going to be Microsoft exclusive, a.k.a. it will only be available on the Xbox and possibly PC. Um, and so, you know, this week they came out and saying, hey, no, you know, we have, there, there's a deal, there's deals in place, we are going to make sure that a lot of the big games like Call of Duty are going to be cross-platform for the next foreseeable future. Um, and I think, you know, that I, I, obviously a lot of people were worried. It was like, oh man, like I, I'm, you know, I've been a PS, uh, a Sony uh, PlayStation fan for a long time. I don't want to switch to Xbox just to play Call of Duty or whatever. And I think that's, you know, a great way off most people's minds. The other thing, and I think this is kind of more like, you know, business uh, focused is that I think they're trying to get regulators off their back by saying, hey, we're not going to, you know, abuse our what might be considered monopolistic tendencies. And so, you know, we're going to make sure that our games are available to everybody. And then that way, because the deal hasn't closed yet, right? So they announced the deal. The deal is not supposed to close until end of next, end of this year or next year sometime. And so, you know, they're trying to make sure that, hey, we can actually finalize the deal because, you know, it would be a big, and it's clear it's a big win for Microsoft and, you know, and first party content on Microsoft devices. Right. And Xbox and Game Pass and all that sort of stuff, I'm assuming. Um, This is pretty typical when big companies buy other big companies like that. The FTC or FTC? FTC. Uh, (laughs) 
the FTC has to approve uh, just to make sure that it's not being anti-competitive or, or becoming too much of a monopoly. And we've seen, like we said in the last few weeks, moves like that in the gaming space. So do we know, Sam, if Sony is going to have to you know, undergo the same regulatory scrutiny with, with Bungie? Uh, I don't think so, just because of the scale of the deals are completely different. Activision Blizzard was... Uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of like seventy billion dollar deal and sixty nine billion, bruh. Nice, nice. Sorry, uh, but yes, <laughs> and, and so uh, Bungie is not nearly um, that same uh, level of value. Um, so I don't think it's going to be that. Yeah, right. it's not going to be that. Contentious. That makes sense. Um, speaking of platforms in gaming, the highly anticipated Steam Deck. It uh, seems like some people have gotten their hands of it uh, on it and are sharing their early impressions. Uh, Sam, you again, you you've probably seen more of these than I have. I haven't even looked at a single Steam Deck preview yet. Yeah, so you know, I I, I kind of have a vested interest. I ha- I do have a mm-hmm. reservation for a Steam Deck, so I'm like you know eagerly awaiting you know all all news and info about this thing. Um, and so right now, uh, I think Valve is in the process of seeding um, review units to uh, outlets. But for right now, uh, Linus Tech Tips, Gamers Nexus, and um, a YouTuber by the name of Fox, who I'm not super familiar with, um, have gotten some early uh, – what, what they're claiming is like retail uh, production level devices. And they haven't done full reviews, but they started doing some uh, some – benchmarking and some hands-ons to kind of you know, get an initial sense of what's going on. Um, and it's it's just really promising because, you know, obviously the Nintendo Switch is a huge sensation, but Nintendo Switch runs, you know, very it's very locked down. It runs whatever Nintendo wants them to run. And so the the Steam Deck really feels like the the first really good PC equivalent version of, uh, of the Switch. And, you know, I don't want to like, you know, forget about uh, companies like GPD and Aya, who have made similar devices, but those, uh, you know, their competitor products are basically twice the price of the Steam Deck, and so that's you know it's really exciting to see that. And based on some of the early you know benchmarks and stuff, it seems really promising. Um, you know, so they did they did some battery life numbers, and it's like Valve was claiming between two and eight hours of battery life, depending on the title and you know the. Uh, graphic settings. And it looks like four hours is pretty, you know, three and a half, four hours more for the realistic sweet spot. Um, no one's, no one's really seen a full eight hours of untethered gameplay. Uh, and then two hours is like, if you really, for some reason, want to turn the graphics all the way up, you can do that. It's just going to chug, uh, chug through battery really quickly. Um, but I mean, like other things like CPU temps are like around eight degrees Celsius, which is just not, you know, very reasonable for uh, a handheld system like that. And so, and, and even, you know, between some of the games not being natively, uh, you know, designed for Linux seem to be running pretty well, given the, you know, you're not getting a full, like, you know, NVIDIA RTX 3090 in a tiny thing, you know, so given the specs, it seems really promising and, you know, I'm just waiting to hear hear more about it. Should I buy one? I guess is my question. Uh, I I mean, <laughs> it, it all depends on how how you want to use it. For me, it's like you know, I had a kid last year. He's about five and a half months old, and so the ability for me to sit at a desk and just play games for hours is just not there anymore. But I can sit on a couch and like you know, kind of watch him and you know, 
play a game. And for me, it's like, you know, my I'm, I'm a PC gamer first. And so a lot of the games like, you know, like RimWorld and some like Teamfight Tactics, uh, you know, sometimes you really need a mouse and most handhelds just aren't really designed to handle mouse-driven games. But because the Steam Deck has those little haptic touchpads, it seems like a really promising, um, you know, alternative to a Switch. And does it hook up to your TV as well? Sorry, I'm not up to speed on yeah, this. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's like it's totally Switch. Like the the controllers aren't detachable, but there is a dock that you can uh, use to hook up to your PC. Also, if you just have like a USB C to HDMI cord laying around, that will work too. Dang. All right. Well, I guess I will keep an eye out on and see when the reviews come out. Um, it seems like they will be coming soon. Yeah, Valve said that the reviews out. should be out sometime in mid-February, mid to late February. And then oh, okay. the first devices are scheduled to ship out sometime this month. But even for me, like I was like trying to get my reservation in like as soon as they were available. And I'm, I, already, I just checked my reservation status the other day. I'm not going to get it until Q2. Um so, uh, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's super high demand, but uh, also because of that, it's going to be probably a longer waiting time um, and not to mention the chip crunch. So, you know, people are probably not going to start getting these in mass until spring, summer. OK, well, I guess I have some time to save up money for it. Uh, <laughs> speaking of saving up money, y'all, y'all, that secret project I've been teasing you with four weeks uh is finally up live on the engadget site basically i reviewed the louis vuitton timbre horizon light up it is the company's third generation of its connected smartwatch and for the first time it's gone away from google's wear os and is using its own proprietary operating system but i mean that was my like academic reason for getting it in right, for let's like... be honest no you don't care about the os at all uh that that is Maybe. not why and that is not why anyone is buying this what what, what does exactly. it cost again 3405 is the starting price my review unit came in at like a 4100 starting price um they gave me the slightly nicer case so no this is a ton of money um which i guess lv is known for but anyway the, the, I, like like Sam was alluding to, we didn't get this in. The, the OS is kind of an excuse for me to be like, hey, editors, I think I should try this out. But really, it was the way this thing looks. If you haven't seen a picture of this yet or you can't for, uh, you know, I let me describe this to you. It's like a watch face that's pretty thick, like almost Oreo thick. And it's got curved edges like that's going away from the face where it's the side. And those edges are emblazoned uh, covered with like the lv monogram detail um and then inside there's like two rings two concentric rings one on the outside it's like the louis vuitton monogram then the inner ring is just like markings with numbers that are like 1 to 22 or 24 with the lv logo at the um, 12 o'clock mark so it's i guess kind of like a watch face style even though i haven't seen a watch with like the number 12 at the bottom anyway Fine, that's fine. That's like on its own, whatever. Then you turn on the screen and it's colorful and it's like, at first I thought it was very gaudy. And then this thing, it started just like the LEDs under the monogram ring just started to light up. Yeah, Y'all, this thing hit, I'm, I'm, I'm hell, watching Sam? the like B-roll or some of the footage from your video. Yeah. And it's just like that, the RGB-ness on this, it's like more yes. gamery than like any gamer watch ever. It, it kind of, you know, like remember when like Razer teamed up to make that, uh, that razor watch, watch with fossil, yeah. and it's like this is way more RGB, way more colorful, 
it's it's wild and even with the price the band is like a, just a space very basic silicone yeah. band yeah, totally. We, I mean, uh, I managed to show this to Sam in person while I was shooting my uh, video, which you can check out on the Engadget YouTube channel, by the way. Um, and yeah, no, his, first of all, I didn't like the color. And it's, the second thing is it's too big for me. The Like it just, they didn't ask for my size, which is fine. But the fact that it's, I had to go back and like ask uh, LV what the material was. And they were like, oh, it's rubber. I was like, did I, did, what? This is like a thirty-four hundred dollars to start package. Yeah, like, wait, like, where's the where's the vegan or faux vegan le- leather or like right uh, or yeah or a metal a metal band? Loop. It's it's it, you could do so much better. Also, bright orange with all of those markings. Come on, you. They to be fair, they have black or white options that look a little better, and I think they wouldn't look as cheap in person. I haven't seen them in person though, so I can't tell you. Um, I will say that uh, our editor in chief Dana Woman disagreed with me in our coverage. I said that I grew to like the watch faces. I grew to like how over the top this watch is, but Dana was like, "What? This thing is ugly." So you know what? You're you're you might not agree with me, dear listener or viewer, uh, that this thing is actually something you can come to appreciate. You might actually think it's hideous as hell, and that's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's it's clearly for people who want that attention. Um, and if you wear this thing, you're definitely gonna get it. Um, but you know, once again, thirty five to four thousand dollars, just like thirty five hundred to four thousand dollars. Uh, that's yeah. that's a lot. And our uh, our one of our live chat audience uh, members, dude named Charlie, says that they watched our review of the watch and they think that it looks awesome. So there you go. I'm not the only one. There, there, there's someone out thing. there besides you who likes <laughs> yeah. it. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, hey, speaking of other news that I couldn't help but LOL at, the Winter Olympics is going on. Uh, and... I don't know if you guys watch the Olympics. I certainly don't, Sam. Do you? I, I like the Olympics. I tried to watch them yesterday, and I was just bored. Um, I, I like. I, I always. I, 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 there's something about the Olympics that just like feels special and and fun because like you, a lot of times you get to see sports that don't get coverage um, any other time of the year. But I don't know. There, there's something about this year that's just like everything feels depressed and lifeless in, in a little way. Yeah, and I don't want to get too much into the politics of it all, but this week, if I think it was today, we found out something that made made it less depressing, I guess. I don't know, maybe more depressing. It turns out Grindr, uh, the dating app for gay people, is geofencing uh in the olympics village area so people uh outside the olympic village can't use a location-based feature to find olympians to hook up with uh in or near the village so i I don't know like Uh, you know how much you pay to the olympics but it's like I, i guess it's pretty well known at this point that like there's just a lot of people having sex uh a lot of the athletes having sex at the olympics um yeah and so i, I, I mean it makes here's the thing it, it, it makes sense on on a level because you know a lot of international athletes have very different beliefs than china or the chinese government and so they probably don't want those people to cross over but also it's kind of a safety thing for you know anyone you know any athletes who might be using grinder um so you know it, i i see you know it, it's it it's a funny story and it's like, oh, you didn't really, you don't really think about that. Cause like the Olympics is supposed to be all about like brotherhood and companionship and, you know, athletic endeavors. But 
uh, that's not, you know, at the same time, you know, grinders trying to make sure the people who are using a surface are safe. Exactly. The safety part of this is like, just to make it very clear. And, I, and when I said I wanted to avoid the politics of this, it's actually unavoidable, right? Because the Olympics this year are being held in Beijing. China has had quite a storied history around user privacy, but also gay people. Well, I mean, like it sucks to be LGBTQ in a lot of parts of Asia right now. And in China, you know, you don't really know what the government is going to do. Um, and in the past, it looked like grinder users outside the village, anywhere, really, it seemed like, could find uh, Olymp- Olympic athletes through the explore feature, which created a problem for those that were from countries that still criminalize LGBTQ uh, sexuality. So I know, I mean, I come from a country that technically being gay is still illegal, which sucks, but okay. Um, And imagine if like somehow you get found out because you're representing your country at the Olympics and someone outside the village happens to be an official from your country that happened to be walking by or walking in a 10 mile radius, I guess. Um, and, and discovers that you're on there. I mean, as an Olympic representative, you're fairly well known too. So this, this is something that could be problematic. So, um, I think it's nice that Grindr is thinking about doing this. I don't know necessarily if this is going to be a foolproof method, I I worry about like I don't I don't know if this makes Olympians feel any better. So hey, if there's any Olympic athletes listening to our podcast or watching right now, <laughs> send us a note. Podcast at engadget.com. There you, no, there you but, go. Yeah. We tell us all about your exploits and how how grinders policies are affecting you. Yes, and I don't mean to laugh about something that's actually serious. I'm just laughing at me thirsting after Olympic listeners, really. I just want Right. And to and I think that's the, the funniest that's the funny thing about the story itself is because you know, it just reminds you that's like, oh, these Olympic athletes, athletes are people too. You know, they're you know they they have their private lives, and you know they're trying to make sure that private life stays private, which you know I think everyone can is on board with. That was again, like I said, this has been quite the week in tech, but uh, you know there's still there's still more coming. So stay tuned for all of that coverage on Engadget.com. Moving on now to what we're working on and what we're cranking on, Sam. I feel like I know what you're doing, but what you're up to. Yes. Um, obviously, we have the new S22s, um, so we're going to mm-hmm. be working on those reviews. But I'm also working on uh, the Alienware X14 uh, gaming laptop, which got announced back at CES. And it's Aliens, Alienware's new smallest and thinnest uh, gaming laptop ever. So it'll be really interesting to see you know, what Alienware can do from a company that for years and years and years just never even bothered to make thin and light gaming PCs like Razer or MSI or some of the other other competitors. And it also has a new Intel 12th gen um, CPU. So it'll be interesting to see how the performance compares to like last year's uh, M15 or X15. I will be waiting to see. I mean, you're a PC gamer, so I feel like you're pretty well set up for this. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll get this. I'm like, nah, when am I ever going to get a gaming dedicated laptop? No, unless it's covered in, you know, LV logos and then lights up RGB. There you go. Um, <laughs> I Like you said, I'm working on the S22 Ultra review and I have been having a lot of fun drawing things. I'm a very bad artist, but because of the S Pen, I just keep feeling the urge to draw. So, you know, it's it's been a fun discovery that I'm not great at drawing. Uh, we're also preparing for MWC Mobile World Congress, which is usually happening around this time of year. 
Engadget is not planning on sending an in-person team, but we will still be covering everything remotely when we can. Uh, so definitely stay tuned. And also, a couple of embargo news items are coming very soon. I can't say very much, but I will just tell you to keep refreshing Engadget.com. You'll see there's some some interesting news coming out of uh, uh, some of my beats. <laughs> Me and the mysteries always. Yeah, I mean, it was. It's always um, a little slow after, in like you know, the few weeks after CES, and now it feels like you know people are starting. You know, once once Samsung does their unpack thing, people's like, okay, floodgates are open. Let's just like release all the things. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's gonna be a rough few weeks, but it just means more content for you on the on the podcast. So. Okay, when we're taking a break from all that work we're doing. What are you doing to relax, Sam? What are you recommending people check out? Um, so right now, like my my ability to watch and consume shows and, and games is very limited. So like I have to pick my spots very like judiciously. Uh, and I'm I actually just started Ozark season four um, on Netflix, which I you know I I love that show just because it's absolutely like insane. Like just it just keeps ramping up the the nuttiness one one level after another and it's like and it because like it's been i think a year and a half or more break since season three it it feels like you know it feels really fresh and uh you know also this is the last season so like all bets are off like if if it feels like like main characters could like get axed or just removed at any point um and it's hard to say like who's going to even survive to the end of the show um what's the show about Oh, so it's about um, a family who uh, moved from Chicago down to the Ozarks. And so it's like kind of like a very cultural, like cultural shifting. And then they threw out like a huge tangled we- uh, net of situations. The uh, the main characters end up laundering money for a Mexican drug cartel. It's like Breaking Bad kind of? It, it, it has like a very similar feel to Breaking Bad. Um, and it, it just like, you can kind of see like every episode or every few episodes, like they just keep digging themselves deeper and deeper and deeper into the hole. And now they're like, you know, they've been trying to get out for the last couple seasons. And it's just like, every time something good happens, it's like another, an, an even bigger hurdle comes up. And one thing I really appreciate is that like the kid, the, 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 so it's the lead actor, Jason Bateman, um, and, and his wife, um, forgetting her name, sorry. Uh, they have two kids and the kids have grown up throughout the series and like it's really interesting to see them like not only like as characters like uh participate in the family business either begrudgingly or just like they're diving full on into it just like man like that that's a that's a weird turn for like naive kids to be like oh now we're helping our parents launder some drug money um but then it's also like really interesting to see them just like grow as actors too because they like really like you know, they were kind of afterthoughts in the first season. And then, like, you know, they really started, like, becoming, like, you know, influential characters in the show. I can see how your new dad status is playing into how you watch TV now. <laughs> I mean, I didn't really, like, make that connection until, like, recently. Because, like, you know, we, we started watching the show way before, you know, my son arrived. But, yeah, uh, it, it's it definitely adds a new, like, thought process and, like, you know, introspection behind, like, what I see in the show. Okay, well, I hope I, you know we brighter futures ahead for your your real your son. Um. And then okay, but so, so you've been teasing yes. all week. You have some sort of secret pick <laughs> that you wanted to recommend. So now 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 it's time to spill the beans. Uh, 
<laughs> not all week, all day, maybe. But yes, no, I, again, the listeners of the podcast are probably familiar with the fact that I try to surprise my usual co-host with my pick. Uh, Sam, I thought you'd be interested to know that this week I am recommending people watch The Tinder Swindler. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I saw that. It, that <laughs> annoyingly, very annoyingly, that popped up next to the my feed on Ozark Season 4. And I'm like, oh, maybe amazing. I'm going to pass on that one. So it's not a dating reality show, the one of those that we always uh, uh, hate watch. But I, I was expecting you to say Too Hot to Handle Season 3, which I know. <laughs> thank, thank God we don't have to talk about that. I know. We we can get into that next time. A, a bit of history, Sam. Uh, me, Sam, and his wife sometimes watch uh, awful TV shows together on Netflix, including Too Hot to Handle, Love is Blind, which, by the way, season two is coming soon. Um, but no, I'm actually not recommending any of those. You should watch, though, the Tinder, the Tinder Swindler. It's something that's kind of trippy to say. I keep spelling it as Tinder Swindler, but it's Tinder Swindler. Basically... There has been a man named Simon Levive or Levive, or there's a lot of different pronunciations offered for his last name, Simon L. Um, and he's been using the app Tinder to meet with women or meet women, get them to fall in love with him, and then they he, and con them out of their money. Uh, there's yeah, there's three women featured in the documentary specifically, but we hear the total amount he's conned altogether is somewhere between 7.5 and $10 million, according to various reports. Uh, out of some of these women that were interviewed for the documentary, the first one uh, you know, was conned out of $250,000. What he would do, I won't spoil all of it for you, but his whole thing is he'll swipe on someone on the app. And this is like kind of scary for me as someone who's like a former Tinder user to be like, God, I could see this happening, but like you, you will match with someone or match with Simon in this case, and he'll like start talking to you about like, oh, you know, my life is so busy. I like, I'm, I'm, uh, he positioned himself as like the son of a a diamond magnate, um, and was like apparently always flying all over the world on private jets for these like huge deals, business deals that could run amok at any time. So it's like this high flying life with like high levels of uh, danger at some point. And and as the documentary progresses, you can see he uses this setup as a way to get the money, right? At some point, he's going to be like, hey, I need it. I need all this money. What he was doing is using the money to fund his other trips to woo other girls. Oh boy. So it's basically a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, this is yeah. a Ponzi dating scheme. Yeah. And... Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is gonna spoil it for people. I mean, it's facts and it's out there. But the the whole thing I took away from this story is it's very annoying that uh, he got away pretty much with about just five months in jail, and he's still out there living his best life right now. Um, according to the latest updates that I saw on Reddit last night, <laughs> because that's what I do at three a.m. Sam um, is is he's apparently uh, saying that. Netflix hired him to act in this show called The Tinder Swindler. He's still denying all of it. Um, so if you're interested in finding out more about this crazy ride, I recommend this documentary. It, um, I will also advise you to be patient with some of the starting uh, part of it because it doesn't go right into the the crime bits. It's showing you one of the women who fell for him and how she did fall for him. And I think some of us are... I think primed to be a little critical of women who who are you know privileged enough to take out loans and and lose that much amount of money um, for a man who has what looks like a luxurious lifestyle, right? Like I think a lot of the conversation on Reddit 
about these women was that a lot of people were calling them gold diggers. And I don't think that's an entirely fair assessment. So so just just kind of like check that part of yourself if you're watching this. Get it, it gets more fun towards the towards the second yeah, and, uh, it, and like, third third. I don't know what, what like what it is with like the timing of these things, but like this is like playing right into the whole West Elm Caleb thing, which I was like Oh my god. I was completely just not aware of until recently. And then it's just like, wait, <laughs> what what is this? And it's like it's, it's kind of the same situation, except he I guess West Elm Caleb isn't like scamming people for money, but he's you know, he's doing a very similar thing where he's like you know, oh, let's let's you know try to you know reach out to these women on on Tinder and just like it gets like he's accused of like love bombing them, which is like a new also yes. a new term for me. But it's just like okay, how is that new to you, Sam? So just FYI for everyone listening, Sam and I are like tight enough that Sam's one of my go tos for dating advice. Sam gives very <laughs> brutal but very good advice sometimes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, if that's what you want to call it. I mean, you give honest advice, which is good, and I appreciate it. Brutal is just on my part, where I'm like, oh, crap, he's right again, damn it, you know? Um, but the the term love bombing has been around. It's when someone, yeah, it's just like, out of nowhere, at the start, it's like, oh, my God, I'm so taken with you. I love you. Um, but meanwhile, they disappear at the drop of a hat. So I've I, maybe I just run in, like, I read more about relationship advice than you do, Sam, and that's why I've, like, been aware of this term in the vernacular for a while yeah i I feel like you know i've been married for uh, a couple years now and it's just like i feel like Mm -hmm. this is one of the things that like maybe it came about or after like i kind of got out of the dating scene so it's like yeah you know what okay yeah um i don't know i guess that's like I guess it's like the depressing like transition into dad life, right? Where he's like, "Oh, I'm not, I'm not hip, it's I'm not, not hip depressing. to the d- dating terms." No, you're right; it's not depressing at all. But I guess it's just like out of, out of touch in a certain respect. Oh no, enjoy it uh, and enjoy the Tinder swindler and Ozark. Uh, did you want to recommend anything else, Sam? Uh, yes, uh, I, for for anyone who needs a, like a gaming pick, um, I, I'm really interested. I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but I'm really interested in Lost Ark. Um, which is a brand new kind of action RPG MMO game. And, you know, as an old, like Diablo is one of my favorite games of all time. And, you know, especially with the recent uh, kind of scandal at Blizzard and like the mismanagement that's going on over there, I've been kind of looking for games that are like, you know, have a similar feel, but not necessarily made by Activision Blizzard. Um, You know, just just change it up. And it seems like this game is really promising um, it, it looks great and it really has that like, you know, really deep hack and slash vibe that, you know, is, exists in other games. And as you know, someone who's testing out uh, a new gaming laptop, it's like, Hey, it's always really awesome to have like fresh software to like really put a new game or a new system through its paces. That's it for the episode this week, everyone. Thank you as always for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find my co-host Sam Rutherford online at Sam Rutherford on Twitter and on Engadget.com. If you want to send me some cool games for the Switch that I'll probably not buy, I'm at Sherlindo on Twitter. Email us your thoughts at podcast at Engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher platform. I know cars, vroom, vroom. Beep, beep, so let's ride.